And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with our investigative reporter, Cheryl Jones. Cheryl, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, George. It's very good to be back. As a meteorologist, what do you think of this heat wave that's been hitting the planet? I think it's pretty hot. Uh, that has really been incredible. We um, uh, we sure wouldn't want to walk, walk on any pavement uh, in this kind of heat down in the southwest, pets or anything. It's it's really, really, really hot. That's a good point. Uh, you got to remember the animals, you know, because they're walking with those little paws on, you know, concrete. That's hot, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. So would you ever fly in a flying car? <laughs> I've flown in hot air balloons, but um, I think with the flying car, I think it's, it's amazing. I think I'd like to not be the first one up. Well, here's the problem. You know, we, we've got problems with air flights. I mean, we almost had another collision today. What about all these cars up there if flying yes, around? I That's asked crazy. him about that. I asked my guest about that. That's uh, the topic of my interview, as you know. And uh, uh, that's what uh, I ask about. It does appear that there's a lot to be worked out, and they're still working on things. I don't know how it's all going to work out in the end. In, in, when I say they, I mean the uh, regulators, the FAA, and all the, the government officials that are working together on the industry. So it remains to be seen, but it's happening, and it's happening in various countries around the world, and um, we just kind of have to buckle up and see what happens. You know, I would use a flying car to get pass over one car that was stalled in a freeway or something, but I don't think I'd use it to fly in the sky. Well, I think that may be one of the uses of this as time goes on, because there are various uses for a vehicle that is different and has different capabilities from what is currently available. So it could be that there would be areas like in rescues um, that uh, where this might be you know, the, the ideal vehicle to use. We shall see. Well, anyways, tell us about this incredible story. Well, George, it is time to buckle up your seatbelt. Were the Jetsons showing us our future mode of travel? My guest is Deron Merdinger. He's an entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of Deroni Aerospace, and he says the future of the flying car is now. He's pretty amazing. He made headlines in history just a few weeks ago as first in the U.S. to successfully pilot a personal two-seater flying car, a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. This flying car is called a Deroni H1. It's named after Deron, and it can reduce a two-hour commute to minutes. It can be parked or, and charged in a garage and avoid all the heavy traffic that you're talking about on the highways. The goal is to bring a new way of travel for various personal and official purposes that's technically advanced but safe, simple, and environmentally friendly. This manned flying car has been a futuristic dream of visionaries for years, and it appears that the dream is now finally becoming a reality. A flying car may be coming soon to a garage near you. Here now is our conversation. Hello, Duran. Welcome to Coast. Yeah, hey, Cheryl. It's a, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me. You're the founder and CEO of Durrani Aerospace, and you say there will be a flying car, the Durrani H1, ready for sale to private individuals that can actually park it in the garage at home by the end of 2024. That's next year. Uh, yeah, probably 24 to 25. That's the goal that we are doing. So basically, 
we we started 2016. It was a you know garage project, as many of you know the inventions started at my home. Um, I just saw, you know, how this technology, you know, small kids are flying with it. For me, it's a eureka moment when, when I saw, you know, I was stuck in a traffic jam. I saw this small kid. He was playing with his, with his drone. And I'm saying to myself, I mean, we all know flying cars are coming. So why not scale this thing up? And it took me on a journey. I think we were six years now. Um, and the end of February, we, you know, prove our case. We've been flying inside our, you know, warehouse, which is harder even than outside. And um, made a little progress with a little amount of money. Who will likely be the buyers for your flying car? And who's your target customer? Yeah, so interesting. We, we had a couple of articles and we started getting, you know, pre-orders. I think now we're over 300 requests for pre-orders. Um, people already deposited uh, money to be in line. Because um, you know, it takes time uh, until the first units comes out, and um, we 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 noticed from different. I mean, there's we have a doctor that lives in the airport community. He's also an investor. He he's a pilot. He wants to fly to work. Uh, we have people who wants to play golf. Obviously, people with you know with more money than average, right? It's about three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So, people that have expensive cars, maybe uh, trendsetters. I mean, there's so many of them out there that wants to experience this. This is really something different from a different world. What's different about your flying car, the H1, the Durrani H1, compared to other startup company versions? When we say a flying car, this is like a, a very broad spectrum. These are different target markets. So the, the flying car today is divided to basically three main, as I said. So the, the one, the biggest one made more of the hype is what's called air taxi. So it's a ride sharing. It's all electric. You you take you drive with your, with your car to a vertical helipad, and then you, you take a vertical service like an Uber Lyft. The other side of it, it's also called a flying car. It's also, it's an uh, it's an ultralight. It's a one you know if once one person goes up to enjoy a couple of minutes. We are for personal use, so we are doing something different. And to our understanding, we are might be the only one in the U.S. that doing that that category light sport aircraft, a two seater about a five hundred pound payload. And we are aware of other ones outside of the U.S., but not going into certification with the U.S. itself for that category. What got you into this aerospace and flying car design? I always looked at those futuristic movies. Um, if you'd say, you know, Star Wars, Fifth Element, um, obviously Jetsons when I was young. I got these comics books from my older brother, uh, you know, Back to the Future. I mean, all those things in the movies that we saw, we knew that they were coming, right? We knew we might don't have that technology as of today, but they're coming, and and there's a, there's this very known author Jules Verne. He you know he's an inspiration. About what two two hundred years ago, I think something like that. He wrote you know the flying to the moon and diving in a submarine before the technology permitted that. So so it's just you know it's just part of evolution of technology, and maybe what we as a human you know are really aspiring to. And now this technology is here. It's, you don't have to have, you know, scientists researching, researching in the future. It's already available, readily available here. And it's already proved. So, in fact, it's like, it's like an old technology in a way. I mean, it's just putting it in a, in a, good, a good product, a good, uh, you know, offering that makes sense for the public. So here, what we're saying is, it's not just about getting from point A to point B. It's really about how you're getting there. So... Yeah, you you know you're flying or hovering at a couple of hundred feet, enjoying nature, 
in a way and experiencing something that we, we already forgot that is out there, which is nature, without trying to change it too much. And that brings us to the history of the dream of the flying car. And it goes way back, even back before Henry Ford, who did so well with a Model T. He was so inspired to build a flying car, but never got the flying Model T off the ground, so to speak. And there were others. There was the pioneering inventor, Paul Moeller, who spent his life working to get his sky car into production. And then there's Elon Musk coming along with his dream, what is called the flying Tesla Roadster. So there's been several stages along the way and inventors who were really visionary and they paved the way for what's happening today in this evolution of flying cars. Yeah. So uh, I think about, you know, Muller and about other visionaries before that. So there are a couple of things that needs to happen to achieve that, that goal. First, the, the technology needs to be ripe and we need to be ready for that. And at that point, I think Muller did not use, you know, electric motors or batteries all the parts, also flight control system, are uh, very important. They were not ready. They started to get ready when maybe 10 years ago, um, as more electric vehicles uh, are driving, you know, our streets. And also you saw the drone, sort of autopilot, the, the, the system that controls the flight, and you know, obviously all, you know, everything that involved around it. So I can, you know, so the first thing is the technology. The second thing is you need to have the public ex- acceptance. So you need to have people and government, local and federal, starting to, to show interest and to look into it. And now I can say there is a growing interest all the time. Partly is because, you know, electric cars are already out there and people understand we need to use electric power system, right? The second thing is, I think it was the end of 2021, there were two house, uh, two house bills that were supporting advanced mobility. Uh, one it was... Um, about the infrastructure, and one was about the vehicle. Um, and then trickle down, Air Force interested, has something called Agility Prime Program, which is a program that deals uh, with, you know, with EV tolls, electric vertical takeoff and landing. This is the vehicle that we're doing, um, different sizes, different uses. So you see that thing, you know, just growing more and more of interest. And then you have the local government are interested. You see new cities are starting to being built. Even in Saudi Arabia, they talk about the futuristic cities. Um, even here in, in Orlando, they talked about it. So, you know, it's, it grows and, and it needs to be proved. But essentially, it's kind of a known future. They know it's going that way. You mentioned the government, and NASA has also been in the news big time lately. They've been interested in the flying car here for a while, and when President Trump was in office, he called for the government to invest in the flying car technology, saying that we needed to beat China to the punch. Was President Trump right? Basically, China is more advanced than the U.S. as far as um, EV tolls. Uh, They mainly use it for taxis, so it's autonomous system. Uh, they have a, um, their own design, which is open blades, uh, means like open props. We have a different design. We believe that our design is, is better because we have ducted fans. So they're enclosed, shrouded, which give us a lot of benefits, uh, including lift and safety and noise levels. But yeah, China has more, you know, is being more progressed than the U.S. Um, a couple of things happen. First of all, um, I mean, unfortunately, the U.S. let China have control, but the U.S. is the leader, the most competitive country in the world. And this is embedded in, in how U.S. 
um, you know, started, was formed as a country. And, I, you know, maybe we're starting late, but I, um, I'm very, you know, I'm 100%, I believe 100% that we will be, you know, as always, become the leader in that. The, we didn't put, you know, the target, uh, the, the aim, the target until now, but I think it's shifting. I feel that very strong. I see the excitement. Um, and I think the government, both, as I said, federal and local, are very interested. Um, and it's just time. Uh, and we, we are doing it. You mentioned the electric and the lithium. Tell me about the two-seater Durrani H1 propulsion system and the dependability of it. How long will a flight last? What we're doing is we have uh, about 10 motors in our system. Uh, so um, eight will take you vertical. So if, if you see the, you know, in our website, you would see that we have like four ducts. Uh, and shrouds, right, and closed. And each one, we have a set of two motors, two props. So in our case, should one of these fail, one uh, motor or propeller in one of the ducts, of the four ducts, the system can sustain, you know, and start automatic descent, landing safely, up to four of them. In our case, also, the system is built carbon fiber, which is very strong, very rigid. And if you, you know, if you see Formula One, the driver will hit the wall at 320 kilometer an hour and, and will come out, shake, but he's, but he's alive and well. So this is called a carbon monocoque. This is what we're doing for the H1 P2. It's currently under development. So it's more rigid than just aluminum who will, you know, just cramp, right, on the passengers. Um, and another thing is, should everything else fail, we have a ballistic parachute that will deploy and will land the whole vehicle. Uh, so as far as range, at this point, it's about 60 to 100 miles. We hope to achieve 100 when we would start delivering somewhere, you know, beginning of 25. And, uh, and as far as time, between 40 minutes to one hour of, of flight time. Uh, Coos, uh, it's about 100 miles an hour. Uh, and max is 140 miles an hour. Um, so it's, we will park in a two-car garage. Uh, so we charge at home, all electric, taxi in and out, pretty smooth, pretty easy. Um, very simple to use. What kind of flight testing and certification has your Deroni H1 flying car been through and what remains to be done before you get it to the open market? So what we're doing is we're developing the, the H1 uh, under what's called an LSA type certification, light sport aircraft certification. Uh, th this certification is for... Um, a uh, specific usage and you know it's something you do parallel it's not doing it while you're doing it your design it's you, you're creating that part and then you certify current part and certify so it's a process that run parallel to our development it's a single engine uh, aircraft uh, 20 hours of a course you do it at the premises of the factory right with with your driving uh, license so it's just you know again like putting the right package right offering and I think we're doing well with it. I, I, I'm, I feel confident with, with the team that we have. He's excited about this, uh, Cheryl. He is. He's very excited. And uh, that, <laughs> it's amazing that uh, I, I did not realize that there were so many startup companies, not only in the U.S., but in other countries around um, the world, who are really uh, going uh, full speed ahead on this. And can you imagine, George, having a small electric flying car parked at your doorstep in your driveway or your garage and as it turns out it's no surprise that he had a fascination at an early age 
with uh, futuristic interest in sci-fi, like the Jetson cartoons and Back to the Future movies, and later changing that fascination into aerospace design expertise with drones and advanced technology, and finally a, a flying car. And it's interesting that so many visionaries before have had the dream of successfully launching a flying car, but as he said, uh, the elements weren't there, the technology or the support from uh, the government or the community. And then coming up in our next segment, among other things, I'll talk with Duran about the safety of the flying car, like as you mentioned before, with other craft in the sky, the training needed to fly one, emergency landings, and his thoughts on overcoming that flying car fear factor. Cheryl, how high up will these vehicles go? Um, they will go up... Um, uh, you know, that's, I'll have to check on that just a second. I had some things there mixed up. I'll check on that, and then I'll get back, back to you. But I mean, not, not as high as a plane, all, right? They don't go all that high, just a couple of hundred feet. Yeah, there's, just, there's just no way you could have all those cars up there that congested. I mean, people would be crashing and smashing down on people like crazy. When we talk about that in this next segment. It's crazy times. Tell us your website, would you? Okay, I'm having my my audio. I'm sorry, my audio is uh, dropping out w- with you a little bit here. Um, my website is Cheryl Jones, C H E R Y L L J O N E S dot com. That's two L's. All right, Cheryl, we're going to take a short break and come back with part two of your report on flying cars and folks to remember the Jetsons a long time ago. George Jetson, that was his name. And welcome back, George Norrie, along with Cheryl Jones. Cheryl, could you imagine people with DUIs in the air? Uh, That would be difficult. That would be difficult. And I asked him about that. And it's really something I think that they're going to have to work out. There are sensors. He explains all of that uh, about other objects in the air. But that is definitely, definitely something to think about. But they are uh, uh, working on all of that and trying to navigate and set up the infrastructure, so we'll see what happens. It is definitely George history in the making, and uh, as I continue my conversation with Derone Merdinger, and he is the CEO and founder of Derone Aerospace, about the Derone H1 flying car. It is low altitude, uh, commuter daytime flights with some surprising answers about his futuristic approach to designing and developing this futuristic flying car, along with uh, some of the biggest challenges he's encountered. And he talks about the pilot training, what it takes for certification, the safety precautions, what happens if there's an emergency landing in a flying car, and his thoughts on overcoming the flying car fear factor, and why he thinks it's important to create your own reality in life and in uh, miracles as well, and having just completed the first piloted flight test of its personal electric flying car, it certainly is a milestone for Deroni Aerospace, and that does bring us closer to what were dreams of the future. And here now is part two of our conversation. Deron, you said you only need 20 hours of training to pilot your own flying car and a driver's license, of course. Uh, How many hours of solo flight would that include? So the 20 hours include five hours of solo and basically 15 hours of training. And this is being done for an aircraft, which is more complicated to control than what we do. So the LSA of today is much more complicated to control and fly 
than the Duron H1, which is, forgive me, it's going to be, it is already stupid, simple to control. And every, you know, everybody that come to us, come to our, you know, uh, facility and wants to try to, to fly it, the simulator, he sits inside, the full-scale cockpit, and he sees like a three clicks of a button and you're flying. So it, it will be much easier to control it. Another thing is, until now, you would fly by something called IFR and VFR, which is instrument flying rules and, uh, and visual flying rules. NASA is working, because we are meeting them, on DFR, digital flying rules. So in every machine like that, there'll be like kind of a, you know, an atomic device that will, you'll know exactly, uh, will be like a dot in the three-dimensional world, right? That will know exactly where it is. Also, there are already, you know, um, air traffic systems being introduced to FAA to be certified that will just, you know, people will drive those roads in disguise called corridors and also send payloads, you know, just for like Amazon and other stuff. So this is already in the process uh, for the last couple of years. It's just going to, you know, it's going to get more and more. How does the pilot avoid mid-air collisions with other things that may be in the same airspace, whether it's flying cars, hot air balloons, Chinese spy balloons, birds, or whatever might be cluttering up the airspace there, and any other aircraft that may be taking off or landing? If I compare it again to the two-dimensional world, you're driving in the car, you, you have a very poor vision. You cannot see too far ahead because there's so much in front of you, you know, so many moving objects. When you driving in a three-dimensional world, um, the sky or the surface of the area around you basically is very open. You can see four miles ahead. It's not like it's congested, right? So, and, you know, with the drone, you have cameras, obviously, for, you know, things that you can't see below you. So you're able to see everywhere. First of all, the vision is the first choice of, you know, the safety that you'll be able to see around you. The second thing, you have multiple sensors. Uh, obviously, you have a ge- geofencing inside, embedded, you know, but also you have anti-collision sensors, for example, like the ones you use in the car that you can get close to something. But this is really when you get close, you, you have that. They use those technology already today in cars it's called radar. I mean, you drive cruise control in the car, will start to uh, decelerate when you're getting in front of you. you know, in front of you, there's a slowing car. So those technologies already exist and they're pretty safe. So these we are utilizing inside. So what we're doing is, is to take all the complexities, is to create something, kind of a, a Swiss knife, if you will, that has all these qualities and abilities, but just bring them to a nice package that is affordable, but also very practical. And also, as far as the altitude, LSA can fly up to this current LSA, up to 10,000 feet. Now, bear in mind that for us, we don't need to go to that level. We are flying a couple of hundred feet, probably like a drone, up to a thousand feet. This is the comfortable zone because we're going up and the more you go, you know, the higher you go, the more energy you burn using those blades, those electric uh, motors. So the idea is, is to go up and transition to horizontal flight as soon as possible because then you're more effective as far as energy. Is there a weight restriction and would someone have to be weighed before they go aboard a two-seater flying car? Weight, obviously, is always a big thing uh, in aircraft, definitely in EVTOL. Uh, In our case, um, we are limiting to 500-pound payload, which includes, you know, obviously passenger, any suitcase or equipment that you want to take. Or, or a golf club. This is also something that a golf set that, that we were asked um, that, you know, if somebody wants to fly to play golf with it. 
obviously you have to land and you have to have a landing space. How much space does the Durrani flying car need for parking in or out of the garage or taking off and landing? Is it much like a helicopter with a vertical lift and landing? Yeah, it's it's very similar to a helicopter. In our case, is you know you think you're sitting on kind of a, on a cushion of an air, you know, like a flying carpet in a way. So it throws there downwards from four ducts, and so it basically balances itself. Uh, so very very accurate. So you land and you can park it, and it's designed to be parked in a two car garage. Also be charged there. So you just have to taxi in and out. What about landing places? Maybe a parking lot is full or the place has already been occupied that one planned to land. Wouldn't the destinations be limited to places if they didn't have dedicated parking spaces? Will the infrastructure need to be changed and adjusted? I don't think so. Um, I think you can land basically wherever it's flat, right? Any any surface where that is flat, you can land on. Now, as far as charging, um, we are designing it in a way this is how we're developing the system. So you have four types of charging. One is the fast chargers, which you can buy and have in your own garage. And the second is um, an EV charger. We're using, uh, you know, the, the plug that will be universal and they're getting into that more and more. So, What weather conditions are ideal to have a very safe flight in a flying car such as this? And what weather conditions do you have to avoid? So this will be like an answer like much of the general aviation. Um, what's what's safer to a regular you know aircraft helicopter will say for us. I believe that we can show that this vehicle is safer uh, because it has those multiple redundancies and obviously multiple you know props uh, and those auto system uh, autopilot. I think this will be a beautiful system to save people before and after you know a hurricane. You can send a, a swarm of those to just um, take people out of those danger zones. So there are multiple ways that you can use it to to help assist people. What if someone is having a very nice flight in the Droney H1 and all of a sudden rough weather comes in more than expected and there's no place to land immediately? What does one do in a flying car? So it's an automatic descent. Just automatic descent, there's a push of a button and, and, you know, I mean, again, rough weather is something that you already get the meteorologic uh, map, you already know the condition, but if something really unexpected, you just start automatic descent, that's it. You just press the button and you, you don't even have to do anything after pressing it. It will start automatic descent unless it detects a movement below, it will not land, like, let's say, on you have to override it. For example, there's the water, you have to override because you will see that you will see the surface is not stable and you have to override and say, okay, land it if you need to do that. And it will float. To people who really can't wrap their heads around flying in the airspace where there's not as much control, what do you say to them when people say, oh, I would never get in a flying car, that's too scary? We're not going to fly 10,000 feet. We're going to hover at five feet. Six feet. So don't worry about it. Sit next to me. Let's enjoy. And we're going up like an electric elevator. You're looking around very slowly, very comfortable, five feet, six feet. I'm sure he will want to go more or he or she will want to go higher because, you know, I mean, it's it's about, you know, safety is all is a feeling. So you, you just have to sit there and start enjoying it. You know, the beginning, 
you don't know what to expect, so you're afraid, right? But then when you see this experience and you see how you control it, how easy it is, how accurate, you know, you will demand more of the machine and the machine will, will give it to you. What has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome during this process and development of the flying car? Well, my answer will not will not be the regular one. I, I already apologize ahead. Uh, I think the biggest challenge was Doron. <laughs> the, the, the biggest challenge was me. Um, obviously, there's always a problem. You could say this technology, that person is missing, that funding is missing, and it's all it's all correct. Uh, but I look at life in um, in in a way that I believe that we are creating our own reality. So all the dreams, the you know, the wishful thinking, and also the fears, right, are all embedded in us. So you know, we experience them. And when you know, when you create something, you need to focus on your dream. My goal, my task, is to show everybody what I see. So we're putting our dreams, our thoughts inside, you know, and and focusing on what we love rather than what we're afraid of. So I want to be focused on what I love and what I'm doing. And, and, and this is the result that I'm getting. So I see when we are focused on that, we're getting those results faster and better way. I mean, again, miracles. Um, and this is what we're doing now. So me, I'm the only problem. <laughs> the challenge <of> <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like you're a problem. <laughs> Sounds well, like uh, you know, you've, you've managed to focus brilliantly on your dream. Well, th- thanks, God. Uh, you know, I was given, you know, those directions. And um, I feel that, you know, we're on the right track. Um, Amazing things are happening. And obviously, there's always challenges. But, you know, those challenges are only to make you better, right? And it helps us make that vehicle better. Duran, where can people find out more about the Durrani EV Tall? And that's a small E, capital V, capital T, capital O, capital L, the flying car. Give us your website and your social media. It's very simple. It's just Doroni. It's a D-O-R-O-N-I dot I-O. I-O is input output. Uh, so it's very easy to remember. So you can find most of the stuff there, including investing in the company. We are on LinkedIn. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Um, we are open to questions, people reaching out to us. Um, it's called uh, you just info at Doroni dot I-O. Are very simple, and we're communicating. Um, we we're happy to get advices, suggestions, whatever people think. Um, we are out there. We're exposed. So feel free to engage. We are very, very uh, comfortable with that. Deron Merdinger, it's been a delight to talk to you and find out about the flying car and what's happening here in this whole environment. You're the founder and CEO of Durrani Aerospace. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us tonight on Coast and bringing us up to date on the flying car that you say will be coming to a garage near us in the very near future. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for that time and for Coast. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure and it's an honor. Thank you so much. I don't know, Cheryl. My jury might be out on this one. Might it might we just have to wait from the ground and watch and see what happens? Um, it's it's definitely happening around the world, and uh, you know he, he did say that you know around 200 feet up to a thousand. Uh, but the higher up you go, though, um, the more energy is burned, 
And I think initially the plan is not to be in congested areas, is to be in more rural areas, which, uh, you know, hopefully one would kind of know what, what is in the airspace or, or what you're encountering. And then the sensors that are built in um, and the computer systems, they have a lot of confidence in that. But I'm like you. I think I'll wait and see what's going to go on. But it's interesting to know that uh, that it is in development and it's a reality. It's, it's going to be there. It's uh, as he said, not going from point A to point B, but how you get there may become a thing of the future, and it has a price tag. Uh, you have to have to have, to have enough spare change for such a futuristic second vehicle, but it does come with a ballistic parachute. It's capable of parachuting down the whole aircraft, and it floats. Hopefully that wouldn't be needed, but um, he says this flying car is just the beginning with this technology that uh, we're poised to revolutionize the personal transportation system in ways that we could only dream of. Now, it can't stop. It can't hover, can it? It can hover. Uh, he, it does. It can hover, but it, it's, it's unlike uh, a helicopter. But it, the, the thing about this is that it's a straight vertical uh, takeoff and a straight vertical landing. So that's why, and it uh, that that it's small enough that it can fit in a two-car garage, so you can taxi in and out. So you could just be like George Jetson. You could just go to your garage, hop into your flying car, and uh, take off from your driveway. How much would one of these vehicles cost, Cheryl? Around right now, he's saying that they will be around two fifty to three hundred thousand. That's a little beyond. Jeez. Uh, the change that most of us have handy for a second luxury vehicle, but some uh, government uh, agencies, NASA's interested, uh, he says, as he mentioned, in certain rescue situations like with hurricanes and so on that could be useful. And some people with the money, there are people with the money uh, who want to uh, make a very short commute in minutes that normally would take them a couple of hours, as he referred to, um, and if the air uh, was not congested, so with uh, an altitude anywhere from 200 to 1,000, uh, and the lower the better, the lower, you know, because of energy, um, and the time frame being 40 minutes to an hour and the speed 100 miles an hour to 140, uh, and the range being 60 to uh, 100 miles. So there's a lot going on there. It's something to watch. It's definitely uh, an industry that's getting off the ground. We're going to come back and take calls with Cheryl Jones in an open line forum when we come back. Ask her questions about what you just heard, about flying cars, about the UFO hearings that have been happening in Washington. Check in with us in just a moment. 